RPG for You and Me presents Neon Heat, an actual play duet podcast using the Savage World system in our custom cyber fantasy setting. It's been a labor of love creating it for the past several years, and we are so excited to finally be able to share it. Thank you for listening, and welcome back to Caldonics. Previously on Neon Heat. Athena and Pavi strike down Strickland and his lieutenant, tying up the last loose end. Athena is categorized as just another slave from the compound, processed in an Olera precinct, and then released to return home. She makes a quick deal with Thalassica before she boards the train back to Caldonics, waking up just in time to see the entry video presented by Arbiter Photius Roth, head of Caldonics regulation. Athena's finally home after seven years of running. As the light of the monitor dies, the train emerges from the tunnel, and the majesty of Caldonix comes rushing back. A subterranean city of perpetual night, lit by the scattered glow of the pulsing quarry crystals. The ceiling of the miles-wide cavern is barely perceptible at times. Shrouded by foggy mists wafting from the salty waterfront on the northern edge of the city, and the ocean-like water source that disappears deeper into the mountain range. When there is a break in the mists, you can see the dots of faintly glowing crystals winking down like a blanket of stars. The same lights line the cavern walls, which are equally distant and difficult to make out. Buildings of varying sizes loom in the mist, haunting pillars in the salty air. Signs fade in and out, a spectrum of purples and pinks, reds and blues, and more beckoning you home. As suddenly as the view of the city appeared, it disappears again behind a wall of metal as the train pulls into the station. And you feel the momentum curbing, and then the halt of the train, and you come to a complete stop. And uh, the regulators are walking amongst the train cars, and one of them says, All right, end of the line, everybody out. I think she grabs her bag and stands up and does a quick, one of those quick stretches where you rotate your, your torso over your hips. She'd been sitting for a while and managed to take a short nap, so that was good, but she's got shit to do, so gotta limber up. Well, you uh, exit from the train car into the entry station, which is the main hub of everyone arriving to Caldonics. Everyone passes through this hub, and it looks much the same as the one on the surface did. This one is more filled with uh, dark metals and tones, somber tones. The main atrium, I suppose you could call it, is wide. Room for plenty of people, but at this time, they don't expect too many visitors on every train. It's not thousands of people. Dozens, maybe hundreds. But as you step off, uh, there is a security checkpoint. 
and everyone from the train begins to form a somewhat orderly queue to go through and be processed. You can see there are detectors, what might appear to be metal detectors, and a number of regulators and other processing agents standing at a number of entry points where they're waving people through. The detectors occasionally beep and go off. You see people emptying their pockets, all the normal processing procedures. You notice that every firearm being held by regulators has faintly glowing lights around the body of the weapon. Quarry-powered weaponry, safe to use around the delicate crystals scattered throughout the city, but utterly destructive to life. And off to the right, there is a booth higher up in the room, sort of like a skybox type thing, glass panes, and you can see shapes moving beyond there, and there's a just a metal staircase that leads up. And you wait uh, in the queue until it's your turn, and as you get closer, you can hear more hustle and bustle from the people around. And uh, when you're about ten people back in line, they, they have this down to a science. It goes pretty quickly. And most people have paid attention to the announcements, and there's a there are carts for contraband, essentially. So mm. every so often, somebody walks by and just tosses something in that maybe they're not supposed to bring in. And when you're about ten people back, there is a Karnak man who walks up to be processed, and there's a regular standing in front with his firearm, and he says, Got anything to declare? As they've been asking everyone who steps up. And the man responds with a no, and the regulator waves him through. And as soon as he walks through, the detector pings and goes off, and there's an alarm that sounds that has not yet sounded. Oh. So sometimes the detectors go off, and there's a light, and somebody walks back and puts something down, but this time when somebody walks through... There is a beam of bright blue light that shoots from uh, a mechanism up near the skybox. Uh, it's sort of like a spotlight, and the beam narrows and goes right to the man's shoulder, his upper torso. Oh, damn. And as the light sort of scans over him, he, he turns, you know, so it's facing yeah. him. And you can see there's a bright glowing outline sort of on the breast pocket of his jacket, and it's in the shape of a firearm, a handgun. Uh, so the regulator moves forward holstering his gun he's kind of on a shoulder strap and he swings it back and you just hear him say through the crowd off to a bad start fella and moves the man's arm behind his back another regulator moves over very quickly reaches into the man's breast pocket and pulls out the firearm the regulators look at each other and look at it and one of them nods to the other and he moves away with the gun and uh sort of shoves the Karnak man to another two regulators who grab him by the elbows and start walking him off out of the room in a different direction. Like back towards the train, or...? Nope. Oh. Off to a side. Oh, no. Off to not the main exit. A, like a side room, which you know from your time as regular, is sort of like an interrogation room for questioning or de temporary detainment. Try to bring in a gun. Yeah. And uh, the regulator who had processed the man turns back to the crowd and says at a higher volume, Get rid of your contraband and declare anything that might set off the system. And then goes back to what he was doing. And as he's saying this, still in the in the background, you can see the Karnak man struggling against his restraints and spitting curses at them. Mm. After the Karnak man is hauled away, there is a wave of movement and chatter in the crowd as many more individuals move to deposit items in the bins. And after uh, another moment or two of uh, people being processed before you, and it's, it's pretty seamless. So you put your stuff on the little conveyor, they pass it through, you go through the detector, you grab it, and then they put you onto the next checkpoint. So you walk up to go through the detector, um, where the you process any baggage and stuff like that, and the man turns to you and says, 
Anything to declare? Um, I don't think I have any contraband, but I do have this. And she points at her circlet, and it, it's an augment and doesn't come off. He turns a little bit, and he takes a longer look at you and shrugs, and then nods you through the metal detector. I put my my little bag and my gauntlets in the processing tray. Okay, so you do put your gauntlets yes. inside. Okay. And as soon as you go through it, it beeps and goes off. It's not... Not, not the bad beep. Not in the really bad beepy way. Okay. So... One of the other regulators comes over with a magic wand type thingy and goes over you, and sure enough, goes through your entire body. It's normal, and then gets up to your head, and it starts going haywire. Nice. They examine it, but otherwise, after that, they wave you on through, and you can gather your things and move on to the next checkpoint. Man, I was really nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and after you step through the metal detector, there's a stand where you give a DNA sample. Mm-hmm. So you put your hand out, and there's a machine that stabs you and takes a DNA sample and for some people doesn't do anything and there's a machine that takes your picture and matches them together and for people who may have apparently been here before when they get stabbed a picture pops up on a monitor next to them and then they're free to continue forward it's like a matching system so you step up to the scanner after processing your baggage and um you go through it like normal or what do you do I'd like to. Okay. Yeah, you put you put your hand out, and there's a, a mechanism with a small needle that comes down and pricks your finger. <clears throat> and it does this, and your picture pops up. What does your picture from years ago look like compared to Athena now? Um, would it be like her Caldonix ID picture, maybe? Yeah, basically. Um, I think she probably got one around the time that she left, maybe as a, a renewal kind of thing. But she her face looks pretty similar overall. She doesn't have the scars over her face and she doesn't have the circlet and her hair is shorter. It's around shoulder length, a little less, but still curly, still black. Okay. Little smile, because she doesn't like getting her picture taken, I don't think. How long has it been since Athena has seen an old picture of herself? Oh man, it's been a long time. Probably before she left. And I know that I just said it's not too different, but now I'm thinking... That's just how it is in her head that she still looks like that. I think as you're looking at the screen that has, you know, your old picture from years ago, there is a reflection on the mechanism itself. So there's a shot of these two different Athenas being juxtaposed against each other. And we can see the one more battle-scarred. You have the slashes on your face. You have your circlet against... Definitely uh, older. Definitely older. But more cheekbone showing at this point. Mm -hmm. And how do... I mean... How does that make Athena feel, seeing those two versions of herself? Probably surprised. She's not really like a pictures girl mm-hmm. or a mirror person. So I don't think she's had a good way to reflect on that in the past couple years. Mm-hmm. At least well, not since her nose got slashed up anyway. I think that moment of surprise continues as an alarm goes off. Oh, good. I'd... Is it the bad alarm from before? This is not... The same alarm as when the Karnak man went through the metal detector, but it also has not gone off for anyone else who's come through yet. Hmm. And as you look at your picture on the monitor in front of you, you see there is a bar at the bottom that says open case. Oh, no. Sort of like a scroll bar, just says open case. And as this alarm goes off, the regulators milling about snap to action, kind of like a switch got flipped. 
because it sort of did. And the one closest to you who holds the sweeping wand that had just, you know, gone over it moves and points it at you again. And this time there is electricity crackling along it. Oh shit. Like a prod. And he says in a commanding tone, no sudden movements. I think Athena freezes and slowly puts up her hands behind her head in a non-threatening compliance position and that think- she would remember from her days as a regulator. And I think there's one more shot as we see young Athena with the open case bar in contrast to current day Athena with her hands on her head, slowly backing away and the the reflection is being distorted and warped by the angle of the metal. I think you can still see even in the warped reflection that her eyes are a bit wild. (laughs) As you assume the position, sort of, uh, several other regulators surround you and uh, another approaches you readying a pistol, but oh. they, they keep it loose and pointed downward, so they're not aiming it at you. You'll need to come with us, ma'am. Did I... Am I being arrested? And uh, two others loom behind you. You kind of just feel their presence at your back. They haven't touched you. They haven't put hands on you or anything. And the one with the pistol says, We'll figure that out in a minute. But for now, you need to come with us. She takes a moment and just crushes her eyes shut yeah i'm coming all right where where are we going and uh you say that and he flicks his pistol in the direction of the room where the karnic man had just been escorted to oh good the the door off to the side rather uh and the two regulators behind you one of them now gives you a little bit of a prod like it's not a push it's not super violent but it's time to get moving i'm 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 going yeah so you go there and um one of them goes with you and walks you through the door into the next area opens the door for you and you slip through with a click and inside it's like uh it's attached to the the entry station but it's definitely a separate area and you go through and it's it's lit more industrial it's brighter it's a short hallway Mm -hmm. and there's a a reception window off to the left and the Karnak man is at the window with the regulator who had escorted them through. And they're finishing up processing and there's a lot of snarling back and forth and general... Unpleasantries? Unpleasantries, <laughs> yes. Um, and he's complying, mostly, because he's in a bad spot and <laughs> there's no way he could get away. So he's doing what they say uh, contentiously, mm. in a contentious manner. Gotcha. And after another maybe two minutes, they lead him through a door and they shuffle you up to the front. Behind the desk is a Vel woman with short brown hair. The woman writes, scribbles some things on some paperwork behind the counter, and she looks up and says, Another smuggler? Um, this one's a little different. We've got to take her through to see the boss. And the woman nods. And the boss. Waves you through, and then... He walks you down the short hallway and leads you into an empty room. A room with a table and a single chair directs you to sit. He says, wait here. We'll be with you. Okay. And he takes a step or two back, pauses in the frame of the door, and you see the light in the hallway framed against his dark silhouette as he pulls the door closed. So the the room itself does not have the same washed-out industrial lighting feel as the rest of it did. The room is actually somewhat dark, mm-hmm. and um, 
Can you roll me a notice, please? Surely I can. Four. Four, okay. So you're sitting there in the silence and the quiet and the somewhat dark. Mm-hmm. And I'd say about a minute goes by, and then you hear a voice. You're Adina Sedaris. She looks around. It's not a question. It's a statement. From one of the corners of the room, you do now sense motion. Oh. Um, and a figure walks out into view, and there's a weird distortion in the air, and it's not, it's not like when you fought Strickland. Strickland turned invisible. Yeah. This, this is more like a camouflage. Oh. So as this figure walks out, there's a distortion in the air, and then as they round in front of the table to you, they become more visible. She is a live karnic of what appears to be the Axian subspecies. Axians uh, tend to resemble amphibians more than reptiles, generally speaking, and she leans more towards a salamander with snake-like scales. And her scales are light brown with cream-shaded patterns of lines and diamonds on what flesh is visible. Her head is rounded, narrowing near her nose with a wide mouth and short pointed teeth. Her eyes are large and round and blue. There are a number of long fleshy tendrils protruding from her skull and down her neck, and a mass of bone-white bristle-like feathers sprouting from the tendrils uh, that give her a mane-like appearance. She's wearing the standard regulator uniform of black and yellow, and you do note that her uniform is shifting in colors uh, in the same way that her skin does. And she has a scabbard fixed to her back and the hilt of a blade poking over her shoulder, and she has a utility belt on uh, with a couple of objects dangling from the belt, uh, the most prominent of which is like, it's like a weird crescent-shaped bit of metal with another hilt poking out from it. And she, of course, has a tail that is... It's it's longer. It's not thick to the point where it gets in the way, but same scale pattern. Her scale pattern shifts and ripples as you watch, becoming more solid until she stands in front of you. And she angles her head to get a better look at you, and you notice uh, the eye that is facing you, kind of like Photius Roth did on the train, like she's facing you with one eye. Mm-hmm. The eye narrows spirals and shutters similar to what Chaz Devlin's did oh but you notice there's a gleam of red that flits across the eye lens as she looks you up and down what was her question I don't remember so long ago (laughs) (laughs) all she said was you're Dina Sedaris um so as a quick aside (laughs) I feel like after she hears her real name spoken aloud by someone other than Isaac for like the first time in seven years, her asshole just clenches so hard <laughs> it could make diamond out of a coal. Oh, Jesus. Because she's been hiding her identity for so long. I think it's just a gut instinct and she's got to learn to get past that. But... Sure. Did Isaac even know her last I don't know. Isaac didn't oh, even he know, didn't her, know last her last name. name. So it's not only her first name, but her last name, which who knows when the last time. Who knows? Oh boy. But you know, moving on. Yes, I am. Um, ma'am. You say that and her head quirks at you, almost cat-like, just tilts at you in an angle. Don't call me ma'am. Oh, I'm sorry. And she has a longer than average neck. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not weirdly long. It's a little uh, longer. But it's not just attached to her. Right. It's a little longer, so she's got a little bit of a range of motion. 
And as she tilts her head, you know, her hair bristles, moves with it too. And then she straightens up and crosses her arms and looks at you. You've been going a long time. I have been. Is this an inter- Is this an official interrogation? She bobs her head back and forth a little bit and says, Well, maybe. Maybe not. Right now, you officially, you're a missing person. So, you ain't done nothing wrong. But people don't often just disappear at the drop of a hat and show up seven years later. Yeah, I remember. Sure, you can agree that's a bit strange. She takes a second and tries to formulate what she's going to tell this person. And she she's watching you um, very intently. And it's not necessarily hostile. But it's invasive, maybe? Um, maybe a little bit, yeah. That's... I mean, she's she's standing, like, right in front of you and sort of looming over you a bit. And then after a moment or two of silence, she says, Where you been? That's a very long story, and I'd love to tell you. And she, uh... Do you, you want to just get into this now? You say that, and she says, Well, like I said, you're a missing person. So, you showing up out of nowhere? We got some dots to connect, I guess. Um... You, I mean, you look like you're all right, sorta. Sorta. But um, yeah. So, we, I, I can take down your statement, your story, all that's fine, uh, and pass it along to Central. But, I mean, and she reaches down and pulls up a little. It's it's like a tablet, you know. And she taps a few things on the touchscreen. And is holding it in front of her and says, I mean, I got your file right here. I got the details. Um, but people, especially regulators, don't normally disappear into thin air. Sort of a, I don't know if I'd say a problem. I mean, it's obviously a problem. And she is, like, in character. She's rambling a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's just like, I don't, it's just strange. So, yeah, why don't we start from the top down? You can. You can give me a little better idea of what's been going on. All right. Um. And she taps a button on it and puts it down. And she's like, "It'll just record. I'm not, I ain't writing it down." Okay, that's fair. It'd be a lot. Um, I, I was kidnapped and smuggled to the surface. I don't know how. I've been up there for seven years working as a slave, diffusing quarry crystals to make drugs out of for Dietrich Strickland, who is now dead. That's just your opening sentence? Yep. She kind of, like, buckled into pace as you were talking, and as, like, it's sort of like every every nugget of information you dropped in that story, like, made it even more ridiculous yep. or, like, fantastic to her. And she turns around, and she's listening with rapt attention. And she's, uh... Sort of shakes her head a little bit. They kidnap you from the city? Yep. And you've just been up there as a slave? Mm-hmm. Seven years? Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, damn, huh? You said Strickland. Yeah. I don't even know who that is. He's some low-bit politician. But he dead now? Oh, he's dead now. Oh, good. Well, um, how do you get out? I think she taps her 
circlet. And she's like, I made this. And it, um, they were using mind control on the slaves and on me to do things. So I made this so it surprised them when they couldn't control me finally. And I burned it down. She, she doesn't have eyebrows, but she has brow ridges, and the ridges do emote in much the same way. And they raise at that, and she says, I, I can't even imagine. And she just sort of stands there in an awkward silence listening to this. Well, I mean, damn. Anybody could get out of there, I believe you could. <laughs> Why me, specifically? Just because I'm a regulator? And she sort of blinks and looks back to you and says, Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you done a lot in your time here. You, you was... You... Joel Shin? I mean, you were Joel Shin? You in the papers? You... You, I, you were Shazad? You know, you were the conduit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... It was strange that, you know, anybody would go disappear, but everybody... Thought you just left with Joel, I guess, but there was nothing to it, and they filed a report, and she sort of waves the tablet, and she just says, I knew it couldn't have been that simple. You know, when I was up there, part of me always thought maybe Joel would come and find me, but sometimes you gotta take care of business on your own. Yeah. I don't I don't know anything about Joel Shin since he left, but I, I you know, everybody hoped you'd gone off with him, but anyway. Um... Damn. How long ago? How? When did this happen? I mean, when you get out? I got out. A day, two days. I well, came right back. I, where else? <laughs> I don't want to stay up there. Fucking toppers. Yeah, well, welcome back. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry well, to complicate your night. No, are you kidding me? This is the best thing that happened in years. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're normally just. Pulling guns off Karnak's, huh? She does the Karnak equivalent of, like, sucking her teeth a little bit, and is just sort of like, yeah, it ain't exactly interesting stuff. But it is important stuff. And she waves one of her lightly clawed hands in the air, and is like, yeah, important. All right, well... Oh, I didn't, I didn't catch your name. Oh, um, I'm Tuka. Yeah, um, you can call me Tuka. Okay. Um... Well, I still got to take you down to Central, because this is sort of a big deal, and I'm sure people want to know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you? What's your plan now? You back? I just want to get back to my life, my job. It's all I've been thinking about for seven years, and I'd really like to. It carried me through, and I need to just, you know. Yeah, yeah, I do know. I know what you mean. All um, right, Tuka. Let's um. I'm I'm ready, as yeah. I'll ever be, unless you have some paperwork for me to... I mean, not really much for you to do right now, but you come with me, we'll go down to Central. I'll, I gotta file my official report. I mean, I got you. I got what you said here. I still gotta write up a report and submit it. Just, I'll give you my recommendation, but not gonna matter too much. Okay. Uh, we'll see what they want, but you've been gone a long time, so they're probably gonna want a little bit more from you. Yeah. One of the Inquisitors talk to you, I don't know. Not up to me, but no, I get it. But for it's... now, you can come with me, and we'll we'll go over to Central and get do the ball rolling. Do you mind if I get changed real quick? I gotta. She shimmies her bag. I got a change of clothes in here, and I've been in this one a while. I oh. don't want to show up and be a dirty bitch or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know. 
and and she laughs and she has a she has a raspy laugh just sort of like <laughs> um and she says yeah yeah that's no problem and I'll uh, I'll be outside you just you get chained and you come on out yeah 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 just I'll be right out and she um she puts her hand on the door and she opens the door and she steps out and as she moves her her hair or like her feathery mane sort of jostles and there's the the very light rasp of feather on feather, you know, just mm-hmm. as she is in motion and she turns out and she says, Welcome back. Thanks. And then she closes the door and walks back out into the hallway, leaving you alone in the room by yourself. Athena just immediately puts her hands on her knees and goes like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, fuck. She get, gets changed into whatever's in the bag. I don't know what they gave her. Is it like a like a t-shirt that says welcome to Olara and like some shorts or some shit? Yes. Olara PD. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Which one? Even it'll be Olara PD. Odd. It's welcome to Olara. It's even. So it'll Alara it's a, PD. It's an Olara PD shirt. Excellent. What what what's the pants situation like? I think they're long, long, long. pants, just like maybe surplus police outfit, but not not like official clothing. Either black or dark blue, something like that. What color is a shirt? Red. It's nice. red. Yeah. All right. Well, she gets changed, and I think she she ties up her her hair into a ponytail because it's it's steamy in the city, mm-hmm. and she's not prepared for that. Yeah. At this point, you caught you caught a midnight train, and the journey in takes a couple of hours, so it's probably somewhere between what on the surface would be like four and five a.m. And this is about the time of day it starts to get warmer and mm. it starts to get muggier because the quarry crystals fluctuate in energy levels and it builds to a tipping point that hits its high around noon, what would be noon on the surface. And that's when um, the Nixians, the harvesters, dissipate the energy uh, from the main crystal in the city, which causes the temperature to go back down. So until about noon gets hotter and hotter and hotter and really muggy and then the afternoons are cooler as the crystals are still building back up from that baseline energy it's it's warmer but it'll it'll get hotter yeah i think she just wants to prepare for it and maybe shaves a little bit off of one of her gauntlets to make a metal hair tie to just keep it all in place because it's thick okay she got a lot of hair sure and she exits the room putting her little sling back bag on and she's ready to go very nice you get out there and um, you can go back from one of the other interrogation rooms. You can hear muffled voices and then probably what is that Karnak man just shouting things like. And, uh, you... I think she has a wry smile as she walks by just like, oh man, I remember doing that. And uh, you head back out through the main door to the area where the Vel woman was behind the counter and waved you through. And uh, Tuka is there. Uh, having an animated discussion with the Vel woman. There's a a window in the door before you open it. So as you're looking through the window before you open the door, you can see Tuka's just like gesticulating and like motioning back towards like where she just came from, talking to you. Oh man, is she in my fan club? <laughs> and then you uh you open the door and she stops immediately and just is having a conversation with her. And then uh, you can walk up and approach her. Um, hi, I'm I'm ready. Oh, all right. Um, and she looks back to the volume. She says, "All right, so I'll I'll be gone doing this processing for a little bit, but y'all got your orders." So, Tuka takes a step back from the counter, 
and uh, performs the regulator salute. Takes her left arm from a resting position, falls it into a fist, brings it up to her right shoulder. And as she stands, postured attention doing this, you have a brief flash back to that moment. Seven years ago. The last time you saw somebody perform this. <sighs> There's a moment that the bright industrial lighting of the hallway seems to fade. And you feel that same cloistered feeling as the walls close in. And your vision dims ever so briefly. I think she starts to breathe faster. Maybe grabs for a wall that now seems closer than it actually is. And as you do so, you snap back to yourself. And it's just you and Tuka and the woman in the hallway again. Tuka doesn't seem to have noticed. She looks over and sees you leaning against the wall. Well, you ready to go? Yeah. And she smiles, but eyes are maybe a little more wary than they would normally have been. And I follow. All right. And she'll uh, open the door and you guys will go back out into the main area where people are still being processed from the train. And then she'll lead you through the main double doors out into the city proper. As you emerge from the station into the muggy morning mists of Caldonix, the buildings look taller than ever. You can look around. They dot the cityscape. Not everything is extremely tall, but when you're working in a limited area, you sort of have to build up rather than out. Or down. Or down. And you glance around, and you see on the far left walls of the cave and behind you where the train has just emerged from there are enormous industrial fans that turn very slowly but you know they're to keep the airflow moving out towards the waterfront partially because it gets very hot and muggy especially in the salty mists and the fog but also because Caldonix is the native home of a type of moth called the Siku moth and the Siku moth shed a dust that is partly toxic partly hallucinogenic, and they flock to quarry crystals as a light source. So because there are crystals literally everywhere, they tend to also be literally everywhere, and the dust has caused problems in the past. Hence the fans. Hence the fans, <laughs> yes. As you emerge, uh, you're on a catwalk, a raised platform that has stairs leading down and cross bridges that lead directly over to the regulator headquarters. And you can immediately hear the familiar wump-wump of quarry-powered devices, hover cycles and boards that are dense and thrumming in the fog. And the fog and the mists make sound carry in a very strange way that you really haven't heard up on the surface because everything is enclosed down here. Some might be disconcerted by it because it messes with your sense of awareness, but down here it feels like home. Shouts and laughs alike are muffled in the background, spreading from seemingly every angle, and you can hear the chatter of people on the street below you. You can move over and lean on a railing, glance down into the streets to find that the bustle of bodies is as constant as it ever was, maybe even more so. Crushed quarry crystals line every street and make a glimmering path with no end that splits in every direction and feeds throughout the city, mm. also something that they don't have on the surface. As you turn and glance back at Regulator Headquarters, your eyes track up, up, and up. Following the spire, the tallest structure in the city, as high as it goes. It's enormous, dotted with openings the higher it goes. And even as you watch, you can see a tiny pair of figures walk out onto a vestibule and leap off into the darkness. 
and you track them in the dark for just a moment, and you watch the regulators in their wingsuits being deployed to a far side of the city, soaring in the misty air, disappearing into the fog. Athena's looking up at that like, man, I can't wait to get back into those fucking suits. Mm. Tuka is standing patiently nearby, letting you take a moment and get everything in, and looks up with you as you're watching the regulators dive out, and she shivers, and as she shivers, her feathers ruffle, and she says, Oh, I never got a taste for that myself. No, you didn't like it? Oh, no. <laughs> not, for, not for me, thanks. Oh, that's okay. It's not for everybody. No, I, I prefer being down here on the ground. Well, I mean, I can climb, but I want... I, you don't got no control up there. I don't trust him. <laughs> That's fair. I think she looks a little sheepishly because she realizes she's been wasting time just taking stuff in, but... Tuka shrugs. Well, you about ready? Yeah, I think I am. And uh, you walk across the bridge. It's a very short walk. I mean, you're only maybe 100, 200 yards away from the, the main entrance of Regulator HQ, the Spire. And, um... The spire itself is raised also off the ground level, so the main bulk of the offices and stuff are vertical and not on ground floor, but the structure itself does go into the ground, and it's sort of spider-like, like that it's mm. supported by a number yes. of arms that hold it up, and there are platforms and walkways that lead all around it because it is in the center of the city. Gotta get around it somehow. Right, so there are uh, roads that lead under it where uh, they can dispatch vehicles from. There are throughways where you can drive and get around and that sort of thing. But you guys are up on the second level, so um, as you walk across the walkways to the center, this would be like the main entrance where you can come in from the public or from transit because... Mm -hmm. Probably a lot of people just make their way right over there. Yeah. It's dome-like, uh, with many smaller entrances kind of pocketed in the front, so there's a lot of sets of double doors, mm. revolving doors, things like that. And the spire, like almost every other building in Caldonix, is made of metal. Just a sheer structure, a dark, towering obelisk in the fog. And that aesthetic is consistent. Dark tones, as you walk through the um, the rotating glass doors with Tuka, and she leads you into the main area. And inside, the ceilings are not as high as you would think, based on how big the dome outside is. Yeah. And this is just a general reception area. Warmer tones, light browns, reds, burnt orange, warm yellow lights that illuminate the area. There's a seating area off to the left where several individuals are waiting. And they might be waiting for an appointment or an individual to be released. And there's a balding, portly Nakir man slumped, sleeping in a chair with his mouth open. And as the man slumbers and takes deep breaths in and out, the creases at the edges of his mouth widens and contracts in time with his breathing. And everyone around him doesn't seem to mind. But across from him, there's an arrow that is hiding behind an open newspaper. And the arrow has a stalk-like eye poking out over the top of the paper, and it sort of sweeps back and forth, taking in the room before disappearing back behind it again. Are there those pamphlets that Roth was talking about? Oh yeah, the there's right in, the, right in the entrance on both sides, there's just a wall of these pamphlets that detail everything you can and can't do. There's tourist attractions. There's one for the rarely visited Caldonix History Museum. Uh, which you know to be squirreled away in the Olericorp sector of the city. I think she sees that pamphlet and smiles to herself remembering a school field trip. 
one of the pamphlets is for Olay Resort. It's a gaudy spectacle of a resort in the western half of the city, the Olera Corp half of the city takes up a substantial portion of what used to be Waterfront District. Now it's a prime tourist location for toppers to come and see the sights of Caldonics in a controlled and streamlined environment, and it does help bring resources into the city, but it brings more than its fair share of problems, too. It's it's one of those places that, like, everybody that's from Caldonics is, like, that fucking eyesore. Gotcha. And it's like, it's a necessary evil, but it's... It's a sword. Is it more evil than necessary? <laughs> I don't know if you can call it evil necessarily. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's kitschy, it's bright, it takes up a lot of time and energy from the regulators to just, like, keep an eye it's on the area. It's not in keeping with the village's rustic <laughs> it's aesthetic. It's keeping the village's <laughs> rustic aesthetic. Yes, that's essentially the, the case. <laughs> Ever since Alaricorp got more of a stranglehold, their shopping districts, plenty of food places it's just a plethora of options nice sea tours bungee jumping into the crevasse so there, much to do there is one um very brightly colored pamphlet that speaks to you in particular and you pull it out and <gasps> it is it is shazad <gasps> and at the top it says come visit the shard in classic east city fantastic there are infographics all over it's mostly just words and uh trying to jump off the page at bam pow exactly, wow. exactly yeah <laughs> wow bam pow very very comic yeah very comic book you like shazad come see yo what it's goofy but it's it's fun it's endearing it is endearing athena is endeared <laughs> <laughs> she better be she used to do it yeah it's fair the conduit the conduit she'd like to get back to that eventually but she's got pressing matters yeah <laughs> And on the front, there is a masked figure doing sort of a, what would you even call it? It's not a dab. It's, it's not. A, it's, it's like a, a point, strongman pose. A strongman posed, flexing, point, arms pointing up and away. And there's um, fire bursting in the background. And this amazing uh, this person appears to be a large karnic, but in the top of it just says... Is it magnitude magnificent? <laughs> yes, it is magnitude. Yes! yes, there's a magnitude magnificent is in the middle. So yes, the figure is a hulking blue karnic with shell armor covering their body and back. Uh, they have a rhino-like horn on their nose area and bones protruding from their jaw, plated armor on their head, and they are just a wall of, of muscle flexing like this. And then at the bottom, it says, uh, see magnitude magnificent in action. She grabs one of these and she turns to Tuka and she's like, I remember her. And she... <laughs> she's amazing. She she's very excited. She turns around as you grab that, and she says, "Oh, you you remember? Magnitude magnificent? Of course I do." Oh, I'm sure she'd be happy to hear that. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, she uh, she doing quite well for herself. That's um, good. She uh, acting Kassar now, actually. Get out of town. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I mean, Dude. I I didn't know her that well, but that's that's great. Yeah, no, she she doing real well. Nice. That's good to hear. And she smiles. She seems genuinely happy at that. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a POV shot from Athena, and she's looking down at the pamphlet, and it just flashes between her eyes and a closer zoom-up of Shazad, and they get, like, a little bit wider, and then the sound from the room drowns away, and you just hear the roar of a crowd in the background, like, ah. Oh. 
I love it. And the pow and the bit, like these little infographics are like flying off the page <laughs> up at her. And then um, you're staring at it for so long that Tuka's like, you all right? You, you doing okay, dear? Shit. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... She, she sticks that pamphlet in her back pocket right. for later. That's for Athena. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Tuka leads you over to one circular desk in particular. And uh, sitting behind the desk is an arrow. And Tuka raises a hand in hello, and she says, Ah, uh, yeah, Rebexi, um, we got a, we got a strange situation. Um, this is, uh, this is a, Adina said I was, Arrow don't have a sex, per se, because they're synthetic beings, uh, but they can associate with genders, and Rebexi is more female-presenting. Slimmer frame. Uh, she has two sets of eyes stacked atop one another, similar to the Yara, and it's uh, a light blue, and that motif of color goes through her body and the circuitry, as it does for all kind of arrow. a cool blue, sort yeah, like of. a cool blue. Mm. And she very has... relaxing to look at. <laughs> very relaxing, yes. She's a soothing presence here. Mm. And she has a couple of cords sprouting from her head, and she tilts her head as uh, Tuka leads over. The cords on Rebexi's head snake out faster with a whir of rasping material and out towards the floor and then you hear a slight little and she tilts her head at you and as you're watching the blue dims for a moment and then comes back brighter than it was before this is Athena Sidaris she's been gone for a very long time yeah I have been well um and she turns back to Tuka and she says do you have your uh, report? Tuka nods and holds, kind of waggles the tablet. Yeah, well, I gotta do, you know, a couple more things with it, but I can turn it in then. Um, she's wanting to return to active duty, so I know that's a bit of a process, especially in situation like this. But um, you know, anything we can do to speed it along, maybe. I mean, I know she's probably going to need a physical and, you know, that sort of thing, but is that something we can do now? And Rebexi looks down, and there's a, a monitor down in front of her, and she begins to type. And her fingers are tapping away, and you look down, and her fingers are a series of wires that are sort of elongating and moving. Like, she's typing real fast, like just... Amazing. And she looks back up, and she says, Well, I'm sure you know that it's it's an involved process, but um, yes, we can at the very least do that for her right now. So as Rebexi is typing and looking things up, there's a voice over in the, the waiting area. And you look over and there's a monitor that sits high up in the corner of the room. There's a newscaster speaking in low tones while a couple of the people waiting watch with mostly bored expressions. And the image flickers with static for a moment. And you hear one of the men say... Come on, damn it. Can't find a good signal even in the spire. How the hell do you get by down here? Nothing works in this damn hole of a city. The arrow's eye pokes up, and he sort of snipes back from behind the paper. Then go back to the surface where your reception is better, and let us enjoy our papers in peace. And he snaps the paper back into place, and his eye returns. Behind his newsprint? Behind his newsprint, yes. I and think Athena's, she's leaning on the, the counter a little bit. And she's she's enjoying hearing people talk because she's been a fly on the wall for a long time now, just in her general life. So I think she picked up a habit of just 
eavesdropping wherever she goes. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. I like that. And after the arrow sort of retorts to this man, he scoffs and he pushes himself up out of his seat and starts to walk away. And he says, at an audible volume, damn robots, and starts muttering to himself as he walks away from the seating area. And that earns him glares from everyone else over there. And there's sort of a wave of muttered whispers from everyone waiting over there. And there's a different man who sort of leans over and pats the arrow on the shoulder and says something to him. You can't hear what he's saying, but he's got like a friendly expression on his face. And Where's uh, this guy going? He is moving to walk past you, actually. And uh, as he gets closer, he glares at you and Tuca and says, What you looking at? She is glaring at him, so that's fair. Who was this one again? Was he the Nakir? No, this is just a normal-looking dude. Just a dude. He's, he's, got, uh, he's got lighter hair, sort of in a swoop, a very thin, peppered-on beard. He's just got a, an unpleasant face, a sneer to him. Gotcha. You should maybe have some situational awareness, bud. Error are people. Do you understand? They're folks. They're not robots. He laughs as he continues walking. He just goes, <laughs> fucking trash cans. I think as he passed you, there was also a glance over at Robexy behind the counter and doesn't say anything, but he, he goes to walk out. She's still got a beat on him, remembering his face for later. He's the trash can, she mutters. <laughs> and as, as he's saying this and passing by, Robexy's typing increases in speed and ferocity and her blue eyes burn a little bit brighter. Took behind you. There's a sort of like a cross between a growl and a hiss just in her throat. Damn tapas. I don't see what's so fucking hard about it. Yeah, coming down here, we gotta deal with them. Gotta clean up their mess. Look after them, protect them. I don't know if we clean up their mess. I think they are just a mess. <laughs> they are the mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I think she winks at her. And she, she smiles at that. She likes that. And she crosses her arms and leans on the counter as Rebexi continues typing. Rebexi looks over at you when you when you say that the top set of her eyes tilt up just a little bit, almost smile-like. Aww. And as you stand speaking with Tuka and Rebexi, there's a shrill ding that echoes through the room. The ambient sound and chatter of the room fades away. A shiver runs down your spine. It's directly behind you. And as you turn, I think it's a it's a slow turn. It's a you feel that cloying icy cold in the pit of your stomach as you turn. <sighs> and there it is, the elevator. The doors open wide, a Yara woman walking through, someone else walking back in to go down. And as you watch those doors slide shut, the rasping metal the doors close with a soft thump, like a lid of a coffin. The glowing orange lights burning into your mind. She's taking very quick, very shallow breaths. I think her pupils are cat slits right now, very contracted. Rubexi makes a small noise, maybe akin to clearing her throat. Athena, she snaps back to attention, trying to push her dread away while, um... Looking to Rebexi. Well, uh, getting back to your reinstatement? It's not up to me, and it's not up to you, but... There's only one doctor on staff tonight. 
There's only usually one who's ever here so late, but you can go and meet with her. And Tuka squints her eyes closed for just a minute, kind of in frustration, and she says, All right, who do, who's the doctor? Um, well, it's, um, Dr. Naveen. And Tuka sort of nods to herself. Yeah, um, yeah, all right. If, can you let her know we're coming? And Rebexy nods to that and then sort of points off to one side. You know where her office is, don't you? Tuka nods and motions for you to follow her. All right, um, yeah, we, we good from here. Thanks, Rebexy. And, uh, if you could schedule a meeting for Athena to, you know, meet with an inquisitor tomorrow, maybe, might be good. But we, we check with you on the way out. She nods and starts leading you off to one side and down a hallway. Athena waves to Rebexy. See you later. Yes, it was very nice to meet you. Welcome back. Thanks. Tuka takes you, you guys walk way off to one side of the room and then down a hallway. So as Athena's descending into the deeps of Central with Tuka, I don't, I feel like she can't help but be unnerved and a little on edge, remembering the last time she was here. Yeah. Checks out. Yeah, 100%. And it's just a series of hallways until you reach a set of stairs and the stairs go down. And as you guys are walking, she says, um, um, you, do you ever, you ever meet Dr. Naveen before? Um, no, you don't seem like you, uh, want to go see Dr. Naveen too no. much. What's up with that? I mean, is our... No, she fine. She, she, she a good doctor. She fine. I just, I don't really want to deal with it right now. Oh. It's fine. I shouldn't even say anything. She a good doctor. She gonna do her job and she gonna get you fixed up and it'll be fine. Forget I said anything. Well, my curiosity is peaked, but I'll let it go. It's it's more just, it's me and her, you know. I It's just, I've already said too much and I shouldn't have said anything, so. Maybe, maybe we'll go get drinks sometime and you can tell me about it. She lights up at that. She immediately perks up and you can know, like... As you've started to talk with her more, you you note that like those fleshy tendril things that her feathers are sprouting out of sort of move in time with her mood. Like as she perks up a little bit, that her her feathers fluff out just a little bit, and she looks over. Like and when a Ghibli character gets happy and their hair fluffs up. That does not land with me. Oh, sorry. I I got it in my brain for okay. me. Yeah, I I like that. That'd be nice. I'd like that too. And she turns back and takes like another step or two ahead of you to stay ahead, but you think you can see her grinning. <laughs> so you go down a couple of corridors, a flight of stairs, and you're passing doors as you go, and you get to a point where you realize you're heading into what's colloquially known as the research division. Mm-hmm. And the regulators at any given time, they work closely with um, the scientific forces in the city to recruit people to come in and work on experimental tech and have doctors on staff, just any other number of things. And this is sort of like the research and development area. And you get to one final hall, and as you're walking through it, you can now begin to hear more noise coming from up ahead. Uh, roll me a notice. Okay. We'll see how much you get to hear. Four, okay. So you can hear voices from up ahead. One of them is muffled and you can't hear anything, but the other one you hear like bits and pieces. And it's a, it's a female voice. And you hear the voice and it says, Ava, hand me the decanter. Are you monitoring the temperature? You know I can't. That's why you are employed here. You drive me mad some days. 
And then at the very end, you just hear, Yes, thank you for your assistance. And then you enter the room. The The door is open. It's just, and as you get closer, there's, um... At first, it's like a musty smell, almost, um, like dirt or earth. Uh-huh. But then, as you actually enter the room, it becomes very fresh. It smells like a rainforest room at a zoo, like a tropical type thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. The lab itself is surprisingly spacious, especially for an underground room, and you feel as though you've wandered into a greenhouse or a botanical garden. Mm. Um, plants of every kind are scattered throughout. Uh, vegetables and fruits grow on vines sprouting from pots that are just clinging to the walls and ceiling. A couple of scribble shrooms, the mushrooms used to create paper in caldonics, or the paper equivalent. They're growing in pots and they tower over you, sort of like an entryway. And the scent is overwhelming. It's like a weird mixture of compost and feces. And then as you move past that, it's like a pleasant floral aroma and that freshness that I mentioned. She makes a mental note to hold her hold her breath as she walks through the door <laughs> next time. The room itself is also in tears. So you come at the top, you're sort of on a raised walkway. And as you get deeper in, there are stairs that lead down to like a main lab area. So you have to sort of pick your way past a lot of the vegetation. It's not overgrown to the sense that you can't get through it. Right. It's just, and there are clear paths to walk through. It's just everywhere. Okay. Tuka walks ahead and you can see her shake her head a little bit as you enter. And she turns on and she says, sorry, I forgot to warn you about the smell. I'll remember for next time. And she nods at that and then keeps walking. As you're on the little catwalk overlooking the lab itself... There are two figures down there. There are tables laden with uh, scientific apparatuses, or apparati, beakers and flames going, liquids bubbling. There's a table with a computer and a monitor. Your first impression is that there are a lot of legs. There are just, like, legs everywhere. One of the forms appears to be sort of like a ball with a lot of tentacles coming out of it. The ball swivels on a frictionless frame. Its legs are transparent, and as it moves around, uh, you note it has the same glow as a quarry crystal. This one has a sort of a verdant green glow laced in the circuitry of the tentacles that are moving it about. The ball swivels, and then it plops itself in the chair in front of the computer, and several of its tentacles swivel around and just begin like hammering this fucking <laughs> keyboard, just like. Sort of like Rebexy, but more, a little bit more violently. Sounds like they're having a stressful day at work. Um, Athena gets that. Mm-hmm. The other figure, you, you can tell immediately that it's a Yara. And the Yara people have uh, two sets of additional legs that sprout from their back, and they're able to move around more quickly and move without using their legs and all sorts of things like that. And the person you're looking at is wearing a white lab coat, and as you're watching, they turn around and they're holding, you know, beakers of substances. They have only three fingers on each hand, as the are do. One thumb and two larger fingers. And she's just clutching these things, turning to look at the squid-like ball who's over there. And it's decently lit here, so you get a good look. This woman has rich sepia skin and round cheekbones. And she has long, steel-colored hair streaked with various shades of green from dark forest to bright green acidic and it's bound uh, back into a spiraling braid that drapes down her back cut shorter on the side so it's like a small feathery 
okay. sort of feathery yeah. on the sides. Um, although she's wearing the lab coat from the front, you can tell that she's wearing what looks like a two-piece black spandex outfit, maybe for jogging. Um, just like a top and then a bottom, like in the jogging shorts. Like more athletic wear than lab wear, yeah, for sure. Ab- absolutely, 100%. Her two extra sets of limbs that protrude from her back move her through the room with great speed and efficiency as she moves from table to table, picking things up, setting them down, pouring things, mixing them, vials of shades of different color. She has a second set of eyes where a human's eyebrows would be, as all Yara have. Bright acid green, like the streaks in her hair. You know these eyes have infravision. Tuka pauses with you up on the catwalk, just watching this madness happen below, and turns to you and whispers, Maybe we give her just a second before we go down. I think Athena nods silently, but gives her kind of a conspiratorial, like, Yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. with you. And um, you guys wait, and there's more kind of back and forth with her bantering with this other squid-like thing. And the the squid-like arrow is speaking with a deeper tone. And she turns around again, and she says, Aren't you supposed to be the one that's mixing all of these things? That's why I have you here. And she puts down what she's holding, and she waves her hand. She's like, I don't want to break anything. You know I have to be careful. And she walks over, and uh, with one of her leg tendrils sort of like grabs him and (laughs) rips him out of the seat and tosses him closer to the table and sits down and she says here i'm going to do this and you do that and um iva the arrow pushes itself up and turns around and says you don't need to get so handsy with me you know i'm here to help you and she says you can help me by not talking as much and she points to a couple of vials and says now mix those do it the right way this time. We are on a schedule. And he starts to do it, and he's sort of muttering, like... You can't really hear what he's saying. You know I can't hear you, but I don't like the tone you're taking. <laughs> Athena, I think she leans forward on the railing of the the raised platform, just just to take in the scene a little better. Are you, like, looking for anything specific? No. Or are you just... Okay. After another, I'd say, 15 to 20 seconds of Iva moving around and pouring things into other things... There are a number of small, multicolored puffs of smoke that go up from the table, and then um, the Yara woman claps her hands together and says, There, was that so hard? And Iva turns around, and his, in the center of his, he's like one big eyeball, and it sort of like contracts and narrows, and then the light bows down, sort of like he's frowning at her. It is not as difficult as you think it is. And she sort of scoffs and shakes her head. And then Tuka looks back to you and nods down. She says, uh, Roja, they told you we were coming, didn't they? And she, she doesn't startle, but her head snaps around and looks up. She has square, rectangular spectacles just perched on the bridge of her nose. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, takes them off with one of her hands and rubs the bridge of her nose with the other one and says, Oh, uh, yes, uh, Rebexi did call down and tell me that some people were on their way. How are you doing, Tuka? And, uh, as she gets to the bottom of the (laughs) stairs with you following her, Tuka shrugs and she says, Well, I've been a lot worse. This is, uh, this is not a typical house call, so, you know. And, um, the, the Yara, who is still sort of rubbing at her face, puts her glasses back on and says, Yes, I can tell you have all of your limbs this time. And Athena takes a second side eyes Tuka, like 
point. And Athena also knows that all Karnak have, yeah. have the ability to regenerate their but limbs. But this does imply that she's a rather rough-and-tumble girl. One could determine that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Tuka shuffles a little bit and turns away and she says, Yeah, no comment. Well, we here for, uh, not for me this time. I brought, uh, I brought Athena Sedaris. She, uh, she'd been gone a while and she back and she needs a physical. So you're the only doctor on at this time. And, uh, well, I mean, we're going to call yourself a doctor, but, you know. The art woman sort of shakes her head with maybe a mixture of impatience and, like, she's heard this before. And she rises from the chair by way of being pushed up by all of the the extra sets of limbs what, on her back. What kind of extra legs she got? So now that you're closer, mm. uh, you can see her a little bit better. She pushes herself up on these sets of limbs. Uh, they're not insectoid in the way that most Yara limbs tend to be. Most of them have something like spider or crustacean or something to that effect. Her limbs are smooth and vine-like. Hmm. They look like they have almost a strange spongy texture to them. Like, not quite... It's, it's weird. Not skin and not insecty. Hmm. But she pushes herself out of her chair with that, just sort of rising and moving... Um, crawling her way towards you guys a little bit more. And as she gets within a couple of feet of you, the the scent in the room changes again. And this time, it's almost a petrichor, like dirt after a rainstorm, but it's, instead of the musty dampness, it's tinged with a fresh, sweet aroma. Like, very light, but almost a perfect counterbalance between the two things. And you have never smelled anything quite like this before, but it's pleasant. It's good. It's a good smell. She moves closer to basically to stand in front of you, and when she gets in front of you, her vine-like legs lower her back down, and she uh, leans in. And she's not, like, invading your personal space, but she's definitely taking a more scientific look at you. I think Athena cranes her neck backwards just a little bit, because mm -hmm. she really hasn't had many people get close to her in the past seven years. Sure. So she's not... There's some trouble in her bubble. <laughs> <laughs> And she's looking at you, but she talks to Tuka, and she says, Did you say this is Athena Sedaris? Yep. That's what Athena says? Yeah. <laughs> and she leans back at that, and her legs now sort of retract back into her back a little bit, so they become much shorter and... Compact. Compacted, yeah. Folded away. And she walks around behind you. She's wearing uh, athletic sneakers, so they don't click or anything. But she does a, a walk around you. You have been gone a long time. Um, and as she gets back around the front, she sort of squints at you with a knowing look and says, Does Seca Pavi know? No. She, you she's, know Pavi? She seems surprised at that, and she says, Yes, I know Pavi. Is she okay? Uh, the last I checked, I know she's been gone for, I don't know, a couple of weeks now? She's days, weeks? Uh, <laughs> well, I shouldn't really speak about it myself. I haven't seen her. Um, but I know she was looking for you oh. for a very long time. Hmm. I'm sure she'll be thrilled that you're back. And she turns away from you and walks over towards one of her tables and starts moving things around, just sort of rummaging. So, you're back now. Um, where have you been? Mostly just kidnapped. And she stops rummaging and turns back. Mostly just kidnapped. Well, you know, the past two days, notwithstanding. Oh, yes. Oh, I see. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, well, I won't ask anymore. But, uh, whew. That's quite a pill to swallow. Yeah, it definitely was. Tuca is leaning against the closest wall, just sort of surveying this and not intervening at all. And as you're watching, you see that, like, one of the vines is sort of creeping over her shoulder and she smacks it away. <laughs> and Iva has gone back to the computer now and is keeping to himself, it seems. And, um, the Yara turns back to you and she says, Well, um, you're here for a physical because you want to get back into active duty, is that right? I would love that. Well, come sit over here. Okay. Do I need to get out of anything? She rumples her nose and looks at you and says, Yes, I suppose you do. Like right here? And she looks around. Um, did you... Was there somewhere else you would prefer to make you more comfortable? Nope, I'll just... I'll just get out of my stuff. Sure. Um, and she turns to Tuka and she says, Um, Regulator Sato, if you would like to go wait upstairs, this would be... This is a bit personal. And you, Iva. What are you still doing here? And Iva pushes himself up and from behind the computer to look at her a little bit and his lens sort of contracts... <laughs> And then, uh, without saying anything, his tentacles reach up and, like, pull him up and over the railing, and he disappears upstairs. Oh, damn. He's just gone. Was looking for the first excuse to get out of there. <laughs> I can relate to that. And she turns back to you, too, and she says, He's actually a very good assistant. Then why were you giving him the business like that? He is sometimes frustrated that I do not allow him a greater hand in my research, but it is my research... And he is not capable of understanding it in the same way. Uh, he is talented, but there are limits to what he can explore where biology is concerned. And Cory, and when they interact. I mean, I suppose, but they run on Cory, don't they? That is true, but um, they do not have the same biology that you or I do. Mm. So he is intrinsically incapable of understanding it the same way. So mm. when I tell him to do something... And he argues with me and tries to explain why I am doing it the wrong way. And she bunches her fist and kind of puts it up in a flat hand to stop herself. I'm getting off track. And she sort of pushes you down into the chair and turns back to Tuka and says, Like I said, you can wait upstairs. And she... <laughs> it's like that moment in Futurama where Tuka starts to walk away and then pause, like walks away with a confident smile and then pauses with her hand on the railing and looks back with a much more worried <laughs> expression <laughs> and then goes upstairs and she says uh, as she's walking up the stairs uh, I'll, I'll, this shouldn't take too long I'll be up there you come and find me when you're done I will and uh, yell if you need help she says <laughs> as she's disappearing into the hallway Roja rolls her eyes and turns to you and says yes she finds herself quite amusing doesn't she I mean, I think she is. Yes, sometimes. Uh, Athena starts undressing for the exam, um, tossing her clothes onto a nearby chair, if there is one, and she's just gonna wait for Dr. Naveen? Or was it Roja? Naveen Roja, for that is who this is. She takes out one of those tongue depressors, and she is now back to using her legs to like her extra set of legs to maneuver around and she does get up in your business as she's 
she's really poking you in a lot of weird places and like pulling your leg your arm out to like gauge your body fat and stuff like that like really impersonal sort of just yeah getting it done with some calipers or some bullshit no she just uses just, her fingers oh. just eyeballing this yeah that's... yeah and she says so kidnapped yep that must have been quite an experience well it wasn't fun i can imagine you really haven't seen Bobby. Has a, a passively surprised expression, but doesn't really say anything. Well, I'm sure she will be happy to see you when she shows up. I hope she's back soon. I, I was kind of hoping to see her sooner rather than later. And she looks like she's about to say something, but then purses her lips a little bit and just nods and turns away again. What was that? What do you mean? That, that face. This is my face. No, that 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 face your face just made. I'm quite sure I don't know what you mean. I'm very suspicious. Can I cast empathy on the doctor? Uh, yeah. I will give you a Benny for smart use of your powers. Thank you. You're welcome. Go ahead and roll your essence die. Nine. Nine? Mm-hmm. That is a cast with a raise. So how... How does empathy work for Athena? For Athena, it works more in like an aura of color and effect that she sees like a halo around a face or a head in general. Okay. Reflects their internal state. So um, empathy mechanically gives you a bonus to intimidation, persuade, performance, or taunts against the person in question with plus two with a raise. I think as you're... Um, as you're staring at her and you activate this, you can see the essence of Coriara that flows through her, that flows through all living things now, mm-hmm. manifests in your sight. And it's a soft light that emanates from her and changes as you watch it. But right now it's it's a soft flickering yellow. And I think the feeling that you get from it is concern. Maybe worry. Hmm. Nothing malicious? Nothing that you can detect, no. I think she's just... Maybe it's tinged with a bit of surprise. She's surprised that you haven't spoken to Pavi or that you haven't seen her yet and concerned either for you or for Pavi herself, perhaps. Okay. Huh. Well, that's interesting. As you stare at her, you can see the yellow begin to fade back to a dormant green. I think she blinks a couple times to turn it off Mm -hmm. and continues being examined. Yeah, and I think she she notices as you blink and she says, Are you alright? Yeah, I just got an eyelash. Shrugs and continues. I mean, I I haven't seen her yet. Um, I just got back. I was... They took me in at the station for, you know, I was a missing person, so I got put into a little interrogation room and met Tuka, and she seems cool. Uh, now I'm here. And this is... interesting. Okay, roll Persuade. I'm gonna Benny that. Five. Mm. Alright. You say that, and, um... Roja pauses a moment and then says, Yes, Tuka is cool. Just 
Be careful. Mm, do you have anything less ominous and uh, nondescript for me? You say that, and she pauses, and there's a, a guilty look that passes over her face, and she looks back up at the door to the lab where Tuka disappeared moments ago, mm-hmm. and she bites her lip a little bit. Tuka, Tuka seems to find herself in dangerous situations, more than the average person, more than the average regulator. It, it isn't always her fault, but... And she just sort of trails off and turns back to the table. Without giving you the chance to respond again, she moves over with a tongue depressor. Open your mouth. Ah. And uh, she uses the tongue depressor and looks around in there for a little bit, narrows her eyes oh. as she's peering in, and she still has her glasses on. And as she takes the tongue depressor out of your mouth, she holds up her tablet and your picture's there. It's like she has your, your file open, oh, your okay. medical file. Your picture needs to be updated. How did you get this scar on your face? It was a long time ago, I guess. I, 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 oh, I'm, I'm try, trying to get through it. It's, yes, me too. It was um earlier on in my stay on the surface, and I didn't do what they wanted me to, and they sent in a fellow with a claw gauntlet, and I learned a lesson. And now I carry it with me everywhere I go. She makes a note on the tablet. And she moves around and she continues poking and prodding and uh, walks around your back. And she says, And how did you get this mess on your back? Did you you roll on a pile of acid? Maybe a bit of coals? No, it was, um, it was a punishment. Yeah, I think by that point she's walked around. She has the presence of mind to realize that she was flippant. And she blanches just a bit and turns away, and she says, I am I am sorry that was inappropriate. No, it's okay. She, um, she walks back around, and you can see she's tapping on your medical file and swiping a couple of times. Have you ever experienced a drastic change in your natural abilities? Didn't really have a lot of time to do some self-discovery the past couple years, so... This wouldn't have been self-discovery. This would have been, um, random, arbitrary manifestations. Oh, You didn't um... wake up and your eyes were flashlights, or found (laughs) that uh, you could walk on walls but couldn't get back down, or that uh, you woke up and you were simply floating in midair. Nothing like that. No. Okay. Makes a note. And... Have you ever felt like you heard the color green before? Heard it? Yes, the color green. You know, I can't say that I have. She makes a note. Um, when you were a slave, were you ever forced to imbibe any specific narcotics? Scuffle dust? That sort of thing? No. It would have messed with my system too much. I suppose that's true. And, um, is black your natural hair color? Yes. Would you say that your hair grows faster than a rate of one inch per one week? Yes. Her eyes widen a little bit and she makes a note. Well, it can grow real fast real quick. It can also get shorter real quick. Is it only the hair on your head? No. She makes a note. (laughs) Do your fingernails and toenails share in this rampant growth? Um, I wouldn't say they do. It's a simple question. It's really only yes or no. Check. And when you walked through that door, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being 
acceptable and ten being unbearably heinous. How pungent was the odor? I'd put it about an eight. Very good. And she checks a box. Do you keep it there so people won't come in? No, I'm not that pity. <laughs> so you have, um, you still have this nasty thing on your side that yeah. had been bandaged at the police station. So she, she looks at that and, um, peels, like, rips the tape off and peels it away. <gasps> it's, it's not, <laughs> she doesn't have great bedside manner. And, um, how did you get this? Um, I was, so, so I got into a bit of a scuffle with the guy who took me, and he's dead now, but he left me with this, and she gestures to the wound, and also with this, and she gestures to where he slashed down her arm, which is like, they healed me up okay at the Olera precinct, but this, this one looks like it's gonna need some more work. She's, I don't want to say hovering, because she, like, her legs are on the ground, but she, like, her... Her, her normal form, is, form is sort of hovering in front of you with a hand on her chin as she's listening and looking at you doing this. Um, and how did you get out again? Um, so the way that they were making me do the stuff that I didn't want to do was mind control, so that's not great. So I manifested this over a long time and she flicks the circlet and it let me break through it for long enough that I could you know, burn the place down. Can you say that? And when you flick your, um, your circlet, she says, Yes, I did see that was giving off some strange readings. Did you make, you made that yourself? Sure did. And she, um, again, when she comes in closer, there's that same smell of, like, sweet petrichor as she is in your personal space just looking at it. It's fine work. Thanks. Took a long time. Hmm. Well, it gets fast, I'm sure. I don't understand what that means. Oh, that is, that's the first augment that you created yourself. Yeah. From your own body chemistry. Yes. Yes, it gets faster. Do you have any? Um. Have you made them yourself? Yes. Hmm. I find that, um, she smiles maybe a bit self-deprecatingly and sort of like she's trying to make a joke out of it. And she says, I find that, um, not everyone enjoys my company, so it's easier Oh, well. Oh, no, it's I'm not fishing for compliments here. And she turns away and, um... Well, I wasn't going to say anything, but I do like your perfume, if that helps at all. Oh, it's not a perfume. That's what I mean. Oh. What? And she comes back and is continuing the examination. Oh, it's, um, uh, sort of natural pheromones. Hmm. You know, like, I don't know, it just... People seem to like it. Well, it's nice. Thank you. I made it myself. <laughs> After not a terribly long amount of time, she does stick you once or twice um, just to get readings on a couple of things. Mm -hmm. Take any blood? Very small amounts. When she does that, she brings it up and she says, I'm just checking your general toxicity levels to make sure there's nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, I hope there's not. And she finally comes to rest and she says, Well... I've never met a slave before, but you're the healthiest one I've ever seen. They, they must have kept you in uh, quite good conditions. Well, they sort of had to, because I mean, I can't really do much Corey-wise if I'm not in decent shape. Mm. I could have blown the whole place up. At yes, least that's what they kept telling me. Sure, no, I, I know you're... You use 
You're linked, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Your, your father? No. No. And she pauses for a minute and she says, No, your mother. On your mother's side, yes? Yeah, how'd you... She waggles her tablet in her hand and says, I have your medical file here. Yeah, you do, don't you? Um, yes, I imagine if they were going to keep someone of your talents in such a way that it's a, it's a fine line to tread between keeping you too healthy and keeping you suppressed, so... Well, they did it really well for a really long time. Mm, yes. And then uh, she's back in front of you. How often do you find you have nightmares? Often. Do you need me to bring in my dream journal tomorrow? I'm not that kind of inquisitor. I don't have one. Well, maybe you should start. She holds one of her uh, vine-like appendages in front of you, and as you're watching, I mentioned before that there's like a weird spongy texture to them, and she puts the vine itself like right in front of your face, Mm -hmm. like the end of it, and as you're watching, there's something sprouts out of it, Hmm. and it's like, it looks like a small leaf, and the leaf begins to glow with um, a bright green energy, like the same as her eyes and her hair and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And she says, now follow the light, please. Mm -hmm. And she does it basically like a flashlight and moves it in front of your face, down and then up. Are you just following it? Okay. The last place it goes is up. And as you look up, there's a little sound and you feel something stick in your neck. Oh, God. And you can, out of the corner (laughs) of your eye as you're looking up, you see that she opens her mouth and she like moves her tongue in a weird way, and she shoots this little dart into your neck. Oh, no. Let me make a roll. Oh, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's good. Is is it good? (laughs) Yeah, so uh, this dart sticks into your neck, and it doesn't hurt. There's just like a, it's like a needle prick. Like, maybe it hurts for just a moment, and then it stops. And you, you feel that it's sticking there, and then it just dissolves. Like, it's gone as soon as it was shot out and hits you. And then uh, she turns and walks back and begins fiddling with something else. And she says, it should just take a moment. What should? And um, She's rubbing it the spot where she felt it go in. Yeah, it, the, and the pain's gone already. It was sure. just like a, Yeah, so it feels like when Pavi jammed you with that nasty needle and Ugh. put fire inside of you. Except this time, it's like, it feels like when you take a shot of liquor. It's a pleasant warmth. And you can just feel the warmth go down and spread. It's sort of like that. So you can feel this warmth spreading into your body. You feel the injury on your wrist and arm from Strickland's quarry sword, and your now exposed wound that is no longer bandaged on your side begin to knit themselves back together until they're whole again. It's a strange sensation. And the, the flesh crashes together like a wave until it settles and is whole. I think she is testing it out as it's healing. Just mm-hmm. That is a hell of a trick. And she uh, again comes back holding a clipboard and she says, I'm glad you like it. It was a bit surprising. Yes, well, not all patients enjoy the medicine. Well, next time let me know. Yeah, you we'll... don't have to trick me. Yes, we'll see. We're all, we're all adults here. Mm-hmm. And she's making notes on her clipboard, and she says, And how do you feel? Good. I mean, maybe not, you know, mentally, but physically, very good. Yes, well, um, let me see. And she turns, and she grabs a test tube, 
and then moves to stand in front of you. What's that? Medicine. Do you want it? Yes, I think. Mm. Ooh. So she got a success with a raise. So she maintains eye contact with you, and as you watch her, she scrunches up her face and opens her mouth, and you watch her tongue contract again, and she shoots out a yellow-green ooze-like substance from a gland under her tongue into the test tube and then hands it to you. Drink your medicine. I think she takes it very daintily in one hand. She drinks it? Just drinks it right down? Yeah, I guess. I mean, she's a doctor, right? Maybe. You drink it, and it's a little bit above lukewarm. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. Um, Oh, gross. And it's viscous, but the the taste is, the taste is sweet, but the aroma is very pungent. This is more- Like, is it cloyingly sweet? Almost. Uh. It's, this is like- if you could take that petrichor, like the actual dirt part of the petrichor smell and make it a taste and have it be like thick in your throat. Mm. That's what this is. So this is like the not as nice part of her smell that you were smelling before. I think she, she does drink it. Oh God. So you, you drink this and similar to when she shot the dart into your neck and you felt that warmth spread. It's a similar warmth. This one, you take it and you can just feel the stress and pressure on your body and your joints just evaporates. It's soothing and it feels good, like you just got out of a massage, like you just put icy hot all over your body, you took a mm. dip in a hot tub, It, you just feel relaxed and just good. I think she lets her neck be a little loose and drops her head to more to the left side and just Let's herself feel good for a minute, because she hasn't felt good in a while. That's true. So, are you, um, are you a medical doctor? She stands there for a moment, and she takes off her glasses and pulls out a small fiber cloth and begins to buff the lenses, and she says, Well, I did go to school. That's worrying that you didn't specify anything else. Uh, And she puts her glasses on, she says, I'm not a conventional medical doctor. I do have education. I do know about science and biology and medicine, but because of my natural proclivities and my learned abilities, I am a scientist. Uh, I am able to do what many doctors cannot do, even with their medicine. So in many ways, I am better than a medical doctor because I can look at you and see what's wrong with you. And usually I can fix it. Just by looking at me? Usually, it depends on what is wrong with you. I can, I'm better at seeing, it's easier for me to deal with those who are linked or who have a natural affinity with Cori energy, other psychologists, sometimes the psionic. Is that because of, um, and she taps her forehead where like her second set of eyes would be? Like, can you see things? Uh, that is a good question. Uh, no, not naturally, not just with my eyes, but because I am a psychologist, I do have the ability to see more than others. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, it is. Uh, well, uh, th- thank you for this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you called that. Thank you for this test tube of goop. You are welcome. And I think uh, they'll probably schedule you for a meeting tomorrow, uh, sometime uh, when you feel ready before you return to active duty. 
they're going to want to have another Inquisitor look at you. I mean, I, I'm an Inquisitor, but I don't really deal with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I deal with forensics. I, you know, nasty goo, bodily functions, that sort of thing. I did not have a, a proficiency in that when we were going through training, so... What, nas- t- nasty goo? Well, you know, the the dissemination of info from nasty goo. Uh, well, it's not something everyone is good at, and it does require more specific training. Luckily, I'm slightly more advantaged than some others might be. Predisposed towards it, you might say. Why do you say that? Oh, just, you know, my natural affinities. You have yours, I have mine. My father is Ori and linked, but I am not. He passed his affinity for plants and botanicals onto me, but I had to work for it. And it uh, did not come naturally, the way it did for him, the way it does, I'm sure, for you, the way it does for many, with the natural links to Cory, the essence. She's nodding a little bit, listening. I studied psychology, uh, the connection between the mind and body, and the applications of our innate connection with Cory between the two. So, while I might have a genetic predisposition for Nasty Goo, <laughs> I had to work very hard to get to where I am now. What's... Well, very admirable. I don't think I would have had the attention span for that. I don't always either, but <laughs> that's part of the fun. So, well, I think I have everything I need here, okay. and um, I will pass on my report to go with uh, Regulator Satos, and um, hopefully that with a decent Psyche Val will be enough to clear you to return to active duty. That's the dream, huh? So she's gonna start getting dressed again. You should talk to Pavi, you know, when you can. I don't, like I said, she's not here, I guess. I mean, we live together. It's. Just, that's my next stop, is going home. Do you have a key? I've got, I've got one. I mean, unless she's moved my hide a key, which she might have, I'm now realizing. And um, you say this, and uh, Roja is sort of scratching her head and looking sort of off into the corner in thought, and she says, No, she doesn't typically want to change things on her own, so wherever it was, it's probably still there. Okay. Has Pavi been alright? I think you say that, and she smiles a little bit and turns away goes back to fiddling with things a little bit and says, she's better. Okay. That's that's good. Don't doubt her convictions. She's very strong, but... Oh, I would never. Javi? Yeah. It took her a long time to come to terms with what happened. She has had her own share of difficulties. I can't. I can't believe I did this to her. She doesn't say anything at first, but after a few moments, she says, You did this to her? Well, I mean, it's... I could have maybe not been kidnapped. But I don't remember enough about what happened. If you are back, and she has not seen you yet, then you should find her. When she is back, I suppose. I guess we'll see if she's back. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for everything, um... I was really worried this was starting to get infected, so this makes me feel a lot better. And I guess I'll see you around. That would be an accurate assumption. Okay. <laughs> Maybe don't 
be so short with your friend. That's all. Not my place. Her eyes harden, and she turns away and says, Maybe don't abandon yours to gallivant with the toppers. Not my place. Goodbye. Oh, no. Thank you for listening to this episode of Neon Heat. Savage Worlds is owned by the Pinnacle Entertainment Group. You can find them and their products online at peginc.com. You can find our website at rpgforyouandme.com, which we update weekly with new episodes, character art, and bios. All music used is created and performed by Crockett. We are so grateful to them for letting us feature their work with permission. You can find them online at crockett.bandcamp.com and on Twitter at Crockett80s. This episode has a special composition by Busted Boot Music that can be found at bustedboot.bandcamp.com. You can find our show on Twitter at RPG4UNMe, and you can find Allie on Twitter at UCTheHat, where she posts art from the show. And as I am absent from all social media, you can find me exclusively on our Patreon Discord server, which you can find at patreon.com slash RPG4UNMe. Any support means the world to us, and it makes it easier for us to make more quality content for you. If you enjoy our show, the best way you can let us know is with a five-star review on the podcast listening platform of your choice. If you like what you heard here, you should check out Sounds Like Crows, which is an actual play podcast set in the Savage World's Deadlands Reloaded setting. It's a story about five brothers on a quest for revenge in the supernatural Wild West, and it encouraged us to get moving on our own production. The cast is outstanding, and the audio and editing quality is cinematic and top-notch. Caleb Sunstead, the marshal and showrunner, is extremely talented and dedicated. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us. And we'll see you next week.